Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the most interesting DVD and Blu-ray labels around because of their extensive catalog of horror, cult, exploitation, and vintage sexploitation films. Unlike most companies, Vinegar Syndrome is also a restoration company with their own in-house lab where they've done new restorations for companies such as Arrow, Massacre Video, and Drafthouse Films. Check out Vinegar Syndrome today and grab your copy of Dolomite, Sugar Cookies, Jack Frost, or even Psycho Cop Returns. While I'm a little more knowledgeable about the label than my co-host, I can assure you that I love their stuff. Whenever I'm at a convention, their table is one of the first I hit, and much to my wife's chagrin, I spend way too much time go- going over every single title. I own quite a few. So, once again, head over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Seriously, my money is on Christmas Evil. Go buy it. It's John Waters' favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> Therefore, it should be yours. He does a commentary on it. It's it's kind of great. He does a commentary with the director, which it's even better because he has a completely different like opinion of what the movie's about than the director, which makes it even better. Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. That's for fucking with me, you no-business-born, insecure motherfucker! Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value-priced DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.millcreekent.com, that's millcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hey guys, it's Michael here. I'm just going to fill you guys in a little bit. Uh, this week, Nick couldn't be here. And generally, when uh, Nick's not a, not around, I try to do something a little different, whether that be a solo episode or I have someone on and we talk about a topic. Uh, this one's kind of cool. I've never actually done a full-on episode of the Shameless Picture Show without Nick. Uh, we've talked about having, you know, uh, we've had uh, guests on before, but this one was a little different. So if it sounds a little different, um, 
I apologize because, you know, wasn't planning on it. Um, how it came to be was uh, my bu- old buddy Nico Aldrich bought me a copy of the movie Slaughter High and told me how much I need to see it, knowing I love slasher films. I need a topic for this week. Bob's your uncle. It came together. Um, very few of you probably ever heard of this show, but before I did the Shameless Picture Show, me and Nico had a podcast called the No Homers Podcast. Uh, it's a Simpsons podcast. Um and as much as I loved doing it, it became very difficult to sustain because the issue was, unlike some of the more successful Simpsons podcasts that go episode and episode and find themes and piece them together that way, our show, we chose the themes beforehand and then tried to find episodes to back it up. I love the show and I still miss it, but, you know, things change and I think uh, The Shameless Picture Show is a better fit for me anyhow. But uh, I just wanted to give you guys this introduction so you know why there I swapped out one Nick for another in honor of my old uh, podcast, the No Homers podcast, the fact that we've got Nico on the show, I'm going to play our old theme song for you, possibly in its entirety, I haven't decided yet, the song They Warned Me by Oakley Dokley, the nettle, Ned Flanders metal band, that was our theme song back in the day, uh, we were going to interview them, never happened, but you know, fuck, shit happens, alright guys, thanks, enjoy the episode. They warned me They warned me They warned me They warned me
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. Joining me today is not Nicholas Richards. No, my former No Homers uh, podcast co-host joins us. Say your name. Hey, uh, I'm Nico Aldrich, and yeah, we're here to talk about Slaughter High. <laughs> I, I just I love throwing people under the bus because they don't know quite what I'm going to say about them. Uh, yeah, I wasn't quite prepared. <laughs> Uh, as Nico said, we or as I said, we used to, uh, me and Nico used to have a podcast called the No Homers Podcast. That in our in our brains, we thought we could make a successful podcast about The Simpsons. But after doing probably six episodes, but only four got released, we realized it's really hard to find things to discuss about with The Simpsons. Like, act, it's not, but it is. Yeah, finding new things uh, every week discusses, uh, after a while, it's tough. And especially because we, we decided to do it in a really weird way. Most people who do like a Simpsons podcast or something, they, you know, they talk about each show in order. But we wanted to be different. We picked themes. And it became yeah. hard to continue that. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. <laughs> and then, you know, like... He wanted to talk about Game of Thrones. I hadn't seen it, so it's like it just became a whole thing. Like, yeah, it's too niche of a topic. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. that being said, I brought him back onto this show because uh, Nick Richards he's uh, unable to record this week, um, and we're gonna be talking about Slaughter High. Definitely uh, not a niche topic. No, not at all. Eighty <laughs> slasher films is is booming. Look at how yeah. well Happy Death Day is. Everyone wants to see a slasher film. Yeah. Um, but anyways, as I said, we'll be talking about Slaughter High from 1986. Directed by the trio of Mark Ezra, George Dugdale, and Peter Witten, Slaughter High is a highly regarded slasher film with a big cult following. The movie is about a school prank gone awry. The sexy Carol, played by Carolyn Monroe, convinces the nerdy Marty, played by Simon Scudamore, into the girls' locker room for a little wet and wild fun. While it's all a ruse, as once Marty's naked, Carol's gaggle of friends torture the young guy with some terrible pranks. He's slightly electrocuted, recorded, and even given a swirly to top it all off. After the school coach comes in and sees what they've done, the entire group is given detention, which they blame on Marty. They plan another prank on the unsuspecting Marty, which leads to a bad chemical fire and Marty being trapped and burned alive. The group all recover, because why wouldn't they? And they're all getting ready for their high school reunion. However, once they all get to their old school, they've noticed that the school's been locked up, and they were the only ones invited. Slaughter High is a joint American-English production and doesn't have any discernible stars, save for a horror icon, Carolyn Monroe. As stated, the film has a massive cult following, and it being unavailable in a good form for so long only fueled the fire the fans had for it. Marty Ranson was the dork of Doddsville High. You get undressed in there. His classmates laughed at him. Are you ready? Here's Marty. Where's the beast? They tormented him. Where's the beast? <laughs> and then they went too far. <laughs> now, five years later, Marty's throwing a little party. A class reunion. Come on, you guys, let's party. They say he still roams the nut house, ever hopeful of that chance to escape, so he can take his evil revenge out on us all. And he's making sure everyone has the time of their life. I feel sick. Oh. 
he's created a romantic atmosphere for rekindling old flames. And a nice place to just hang around. Marty hasn't forgotten a thing. He's giving them a blast from the past they'll never forget. Marty Ranson is still a dork. But tonight, he's getting even. Vestron Pictures presents Slaughter High. Yeah, I had, uh, I first saw uh, Slaughter High. I, I bought a copy of it on iTunes, and it was like the 4.3 version. It was very uh, not good. <laughs> yep. I, I think I've still got that copy sitting around somewhere. Mm. No, I, I had like... Um, I'm trying to think of who released it. I've got notes. Lionsgate put out like a collection of their four films or some crap that came with My Best Friend is a Vampire, which I actually really enjoy. Uh, one of the Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels and some, you know, um, Ghoulies 3 and a bunch of other weird ones. Chopping Mall came on that Chop as well. Um uh, and I, I remember buying this collection for Chopping Mall and with the intent of watching Slaughter High. But once mm -hmm. I found out Vestron was eventually putting it out, I decided not to. And then I forgot to buy it. And you <laughs> offered to buy it for me. It kind of came as a joke. Yeah. I well, honestly did not. When I, when I jokingly said, oh, if you want to gift it to me, I won't complain. I did not expect you to actually <laughs> buy me a copy of Slaughter High. Well, there's 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 uh, there's a story behind that. Basically, I have had uh, through good fortune uh, a ridiculous amount of Amazon gift cards <laughs> gifted to me, and so yeah, it, it really honestly didn't cost me anything. <laughs> well, I'm not going to complain, and I still want to return the favor once I have a little extra scratch. I want to find you a slasher film that you haven't seen, and we can do this another time. Yes, um, absolutely. But we um I've I've done an episode on the of the Shameless Picture Show on slasher films before, but we talked I talked with Brennan Klein and we talked more about slasher films as a whole, because his whole thing was he's got a master list of every slasher film from 1980 to 1989, you know the golden period, and yeah. he is watching every single one in order. So that's his thing is he's tracking the progression of them and where they you know how they started what 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 the high points are so on and so forth. We're not going to do that here. We're actually going to just talk about Slaughter High, which I have to say I I was very on the fence about it first. But I think after at the, after it was all said and done, I've come to terms with the fact that I think I love this movie. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting movie to watch. I think today and we were, we were discussing this outside of the show. Uh, in this is a, a concept that I think. A remake would actually be really interesting. Yes, how this approached. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I was saying before how like the the movie almost oscillates between like troll to the room quality, just awfulness, and like genuinely great slasher. And it's it's fascinating to see it make that shift. No, it it is like there there's. Uh, I think in my notes I wrote. Uh, I can't tell if this is a spoof or not. Because at times it would kind of flip flop. Like the usually, how I can tell if something is a spoof is by the way it's shot. And like all intents and purposes, this shot is this film is shot very seriously. Yeah. But all the acting is so over the top and weird that it feels like a lot of the 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 newer uh, slash films I see where people are making fun of it. 
And granted, you know, there's a whole lot of stories about why the acting was so weird anyways, which we will touch on. But, like, I, I legitimately couldn't tell. And it, especially because how over the top and drawn out the opening sequence is. Any other slasher film would show, like, the big prank happen in a max of, I want to say, 10 minutes. No, no, yeah. five minutes. And this felt like it went on for 10, 12, maybe even 15 minutes where, like, okay, he's completely naked and, you know, upside down, which kudos to them for full frontal on, a ma- on the male side. That's pretty cool. Um, and it's like, okay, that's this is why he wants to get revenge. No, it just kept going and kept going. And it, Yeah, it was almost like – it was almost like they're trying to go, like, darkly comedic with it. But then it's like you're laughing at this poor high school kid who's, like, just being viciously teased and – yeah, like I don't. When you're watching, you don't know what to make of it. You want, you want to like. Vicious is the exact best way to describe it. Like, um, I I mentioned too at one point that it's almost on the levels of trauma with how mean spirited it is. Uh, like if you look at the Toxic Avenger, like the the character that becomes the Toxic Avenger, like they they do something kind of similar where they you know they they think they make him think he's gonna get laid. They bring him into the girls' locker room and instead embarrass him. But even their pranks weren't that bad, um, you know, until he gets set on fire, which also the same, and then jumps into a vat of toxic waste. This this film is so mean spirited. Like I was expecting to see Michael Hers and Lloyd Kaufman's name come up on screen. The best is when uh, the gym teacher, I think it is, catches <laughs> yes. them, and one of the one of the girls gets pissed off at Marty for for the uh, gym teacher finding out that they're just. This doing is all work. Marty's fault. That stupid dork, Marty. It's all his fucking fault. Yeah, <laughs> which I have to say real quick because he's not going to come up very much in this. I love that gym teacher. He seemed the most earnest character in the other than marty he like the gym teacher is the only one who's acting felt believable to any extent like i felt like they got a legitimate gym teacher in there all right all right cut the train monkey act come on line up i want to line up right here come on shape up come on so this is the gang huh how long is this motley crew been in existence, huh? Can anybody tell me? Come on, come on. What do you have to do to become a member of this elite hit squad? Be tough? Are you tough, Frank? No, coach. No, coach. Am I tough? Yep. Yes? Yes, coach. Yes, coach. Good. Oh, the Joker. Make me laugh. Make me laugh, Skip. Come on, make us all laugh. Huh? (laughs) Oh, maybe you uh, just have to be pretty. Huh? Or stupid. (laughs) Everyone else was so over the top and tongue-in-cheek, and the gym teacher was not only funny, but, like, there's strange layers to him. Like, he wasn't the one-sided, like, you guys are all a bunch of hooligans. You know, like, you know, when they're all doing their push-ups, he's, he's, he's insulting the ones who aren't doing it very well. And, and then yeah. you got the one jock who's doing it good. He's like, you know what? Good job. Like, there's layers to this gym teacher. 
Yeah, and I mean, he has a lot to do because I'm pretty sure he's the only per- teacher at the school. I think he runs the whole school with the janitor. Yeah, um, the, <laughs> who later becomes the caretaker. Yeah, um, I have to just say, I'm, I'm on the IMDb right now, kind of looking through photos, and it's the image of Marty reaching for the nitric acid, which is like comically placed on the top cool. shelf. That, I, I put in my notes that it's the worst handling of nitric acid I've ever seen in a movie. He's supposed to be a great chemist, but he just – it's like he's feebly like reaching to like this rickety old bookshelf to like grab the nitric acid. It's, it's, it's hilarious. I also love Marty too because like it, I feel like in a movie nowadays because like it's, it's become chic to be a nerd. Like I could see, I could see Marty being one of the cool kids. Like I just love his complete confidence after being insult, you know, like – um, you know, tortured by these people, like the next the next day when they're like, "Hey, Marty, we rolled a joint for you," and he's like, "Yeah, next time, don't get in my way when I'm gonna get laid, guys." Like he does not, it does not even occur to him that why yeah, like still another prank. <laughs> yeah, like he's like he's like, man, if you guys wouldn't have showed up, I would have totally gotten. And like, he just has this attitude about him. It's like Marty, you're such a weird character. And I think that's where like the the turn. Well, I mean, there's more to it, and maybe the, the the actual twist at the end. Well, we will address that later. But when you're watching the movie, the turn when he becomes this this murderous psychopath, it it's hard to believe when when you see him that uh, comically like one note uh, to become like this like sort of nuanced character who's you know, thought out all these traps and how these, these bullies are going to react to them when he couldn't even figure out that a joint that they were giving him wasn't going to be an actual joint. No, and then even when he was it was exploding on him, it's like, oh, that was weird. Let me try it again. Yeah. Um, speaking about the nuances of Marty. Um, <laughs> it's not, that's going to be a very short conversation. No, I, I, it, it's still going to be short, but... Um, one thing that's interesting, I don't know how much you know about the actor Simon Scudamore, but no, watch it all. He, this is going to get really dark. That's why I'm bringing it up early. Like a day or two after they finished shooting the movie, he killed himself. Really? Yes. And like I was, uh, I was watching. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff on the Vestron disc about the mo- about the movie. There was an interview and some stuff, but they were talking about like how that they, you know they believe some of those nuances or like, you know, what was going on in his personal life was really what he brought into the character. Uh, because like I said, you know, short, like when they, they said like max of two days after shooting the film, he died. Wow. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Like after having that, that information, I went back and I actually rewatched that opening and like, I don't know if it's me projecting, but like, I really felt for the guy even more than I did originally because their pranks are so fucking horrible. You know, there, yeah. there's, there's two That'd schools. That'd be opening even worse. <laughs> yeah, there's two schools of thought when it comes to things like this. It's like you can either have a sympathetic character and then no matter what people do to him, he feels bad, or you can do the RoboCop way of like, we don't get to know this character, so let's just do something so heinous that you feel for him. This mm-hmm. movie is now a, a weird mixture of the both where Marty is kind of sympathetic already, even more so after learning that. And they're just – they should all be jailed for what they did to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I haven't seen many slasher films. I don't even know if there really are 
many that go to this extent where you are actually really truly rooting for the killer. No, like uh, I'd say Friday the Thirteenth is, is some of the few, but it's mainly because most of the characters are so terrible. Yeah, um, and I think the uh, part seven with that—I don't even remember her name. She gets an X to the face and thrown over the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like because you know most slasher films, you you're generally trying to root for the survivors. So that's the goal. Um, and you know, sometimes at the end, like once you find like something, say like prom night without spoiling it, you know, once you find out motivations, then you kind of feel for the killer. And I think that's always kind of a cool way to do it. But in this one, like you find out pretty early, you know, almost right away that the killer is going to be Marty. And like the, it's like, it's a combination of like, well, Marty, I really want to see him get revenge and all these people are terrible. So it's a, it's a one, two punch of, Get the Marty, and especially because he kills them in such a cool way. I also find it hilarious that they didn't realize something weird was happening with this five-year high school reunion. Yeah. Uh, and what kind of five-year high school reunion decorates with American flags? Uh, one that one that was not really in America. I, yeah. I have a I have a love for movies that are supposed to be American that aren't shot in America. Um, yeah. Dick Randall, who produced the film, he's actually he actually plays like the skeezy produ- uh, producer on the phone early in the movie that's talking to Carolyn Monroe. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a post in the background for another slash film called Pieces, and it's a yeah. Spanish horror film that's set in America. So there's American flags everywhere to make you think that this is this is a good old America. Yeah, and, and that's that's what like kind of reminds me. That's what elements of this movie remind me of Troll 2 or The Room, where it feels like a foreign filmmaker desperately trying to capture that, like, Americana vibe. Yeah. Um, I, they're probably a little bit more successful in some ways in this movie than, like, Troll 2, oddly enough, even though Troll 2, I think, was filmed in the U.S. Uh, <laughs> but outside of the accents, it, <laughs> you wouldn't really tell that it's uh, not American. Yeah, it's 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 super strange too. And like you mentioned, the accents, and yeah. you know, for all intents and purposes, I just after finding out this was an English production, I assumed that they oh they're just all English trying to fake American accents. But mm-hmm. where it gets muddied is Mark Ezra, who is one of the three directors, talks yeah. on the the special features about like knowing that oh they want this movie to take place in america we're shooting it here in the uk what can we do he said i went to a local acting school and there was a couple uh, american actors there on holiday and he asked well who wants to be in a movie and a couple of them raised their hand so like there's <laughs> maybe a couple american actors thrown in but we don't know and like if they've been in england long enough they could have start having a weird english accent coming out so like who knows who knows yeah. who's american pretending to be uh uh Who's uh, who's who knows who's English who tra- pretend to be American and who's American who can't shed an English accent? Like it's, it's the, so the two weird. the two jock characters. I got the feeling that their accents were authentic. Okay. American. Uh, um, I was listening really closely last night when I was rewatching it uh, for I guess the third time now I've seen it. Um, but yeah, I, I realized that those are the only characters where I, I haven't detected any sort of accent shifting. <laughs> which happens a lot. Like one character who's like wearing 
furs and stuff at one point kind of starts going into like a weird southern yes i was gonna mention that i'm confident her accent is fake because she just started at some time she sounds southern and they all sound like they came from a 1950s movie especially like the one jock who falls off the motorcycle yeah yeah like it's it feels like he fell off a motorcycle in like a james dean movie that's true yeah yeah (laughs) it's the accents are like if anyone hasn't seen this movie, it's worth seeing just to watch people so terribly do American accents. I, I honestly haven't seen American accents that bad. And then Carolyn Monroe, who is, to my knowledge, is not American at all. Um, oh, she, so she is English. She wasn't even trying to hide her accent. She played Carol. Um, she, she's the one that, uh, let me, I'm looking her up right the, now. The, the survivor girl. She's yeah. also, she was in a couple Bond films and she was in one of my favorite slasher films, Maniac. So, uh, I, I know who, the, I know the, she was also, she started acting in the Hammer films and she was also in the Abominable Dr. Five. So like she's, she's in, uh, she's in Star Crash. Yeah. So she's kind of, you know, her own way, horror royalty, mm-hmm. um, and I, I just have to say, like, she's simultaneously one of the best and worst things about this movie. Hello? Is that you, Carol? Hi, Manny. What do you want now? Carol, baby, I just called you to say good morning and uh, have a good day, you know. Yeah, well, you have a good day, too. Now, what do you want? You know what I want. Are you going to do this picture or not? I've got to know because the guy wants an answer this afternoon. I'm not doing it. You're not? Tell me why the hell not. What about my percentage? Look, Manny. The guy's weird, the story's weird, and... And what? And you're weird. Yeah. I also love uh, kind of going off on like that character. Uh, it's revealed at the end that this was all basically a dream of Marty's or a fantasy, right? Yeah. So in his fantasy, Carol's like a successful actress. Yeah, he, he has like strangely optimistic uh, fantasies about these characters. I like to imagine that he's he, he had a crush on Carol, so maybe like he yeah. wanted the best for her. Um, all the actors were super strange, though. Like Carolyn Monroe, it was like in her late thirties when she did this movie, which yeah. it's funny. All the actors, she's the oldest actress in the film. Um. All no, the actors are too old to be high schoolers, yet sh- strangely too young to be their older selves, into some yeah. extent. Except for Carolyn Monroe, she's the weird anomaly. Yeah, and it's it's not like she she looks old old. It's just no. she doesn't look like a high school student. No, and yeah, it's uh, it, it's strange that they decided to do a five year time jump. Uh, yeah, from yeah. where the movie, where the prank ended, and to where they come back and all get killed, uh, because in that five years they apparently aged like fifteen years, and the school was shut down. I I, I just wonder why they didn't make it, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years later. Yeah, I guess so, think like ten would have worked. Was the school that bad? Then five years they had to close it down. Yeah. I mean, it looked pretty shitty. <laughs> well, part of that is because the school, the school, the location they shot it at was actually an asylum. Yeah, yeah, you're telling me that. So fucked up. Which it, it's hard to unsee that once once you realize that. 
Yeah, like other than like the little corridor where they're going to uh, the locker rooms, like that's the only part that rang true to me as being a school. Like they didn't even try to make a mock classroom or something. Like, and at first, like I thought it was a private school because there's beds. Yeah, I see. When I first watched it, before knowing that it was an asylum, I just assumed that this was like some kind of unique British school that they just filmed there because it could vaguely be dressed in a way that looked like an American school. Um, but yeah, knowing that there's beds and tubs and like it, it makes it a very weird high school that they're trying to go, uh, that the train is set up. However, this movie does do something that I love in slasher films. I love, um, and this is such a weird, like specific thing to love. Uh, but I love when a slasher film is able to get a location that you can tell they're not doing anything else with. Cause like I found out that this location after they shot there, they tore it down. So it's like, they're like those fire, they're actually just able to just throw off fire bombs in the hallway. And yeah. I, like, it all, it, everything felt legitimate to me. Yeah. It, there was a griminess to it that that feels very authentic and honestly is one of the reasons why the aesthetic of the film I think works so well. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm really big on aesthetics and I think me and you might both be having gone to school for film where we pay mm-hmm. attention to more aesthetics because for me, I want something, even with my low budget slasher films, I want them to feel, to feel real. Like I think I, I can I can only speak for myself, but for me, I want a if I'm gonna watch a horror film, I want it to feel like it's trying to be a good film. Even if they didn't necessarily make a good film, they're trying, you know. Yeah. And they're trying to make a good film, and you know, and th- sometimes they just don't have the skill, and it comes out like I I absolutely hate when someone tries to make a intentionally bad film because it, it rings very false to me but everything from like the cinematography to like the location it felt real it felt gritty and it felt like they were trying i don't know and there's there's one uh, specific portion of the film that i think that is working completely and that is in the middle section of the film i thought you, i was gonna say the climax but i want to hear your your reasoning uh I, i'm looking at the at stills right now um and i'm not 100 percent sure which director directed which part and like when that cutoff point happened but i've got i might have an answer for that but continue what you're saying okay uh but it, it feels very distinct that like the first act of the movie was one director the middle act was one director and the final act was one director and the the middle act is very gore heavy it's very uh inventive with its kills mm-hmm. it, it feels like an effects person directed that that middle section um or at least someone with an eye for an effects uh and the shot composition is much more artfully done i would say where the final act it feels very much like uh almost 70s like where it's very like stationary camera wide shot as you watch like the action unfolds and then like maybe it'll like dolly across uh like a field or something. Um, not not a bad way to shoot it, but just it very obviously distinct from what happened in the previous act. Yeah, there, it, it, the, that part that you're just referring to that felt like the 70s, it, it's apparent that there was a style at work or yeah. they had something in their mind. You are 
granted, take all this with a grain of salt from based on my research. You're both simultaneously correct and incorrect at the same time. While it's oh. not necessarily as simple as each you know person directed an act of this an act of this film, because in a lot of ways they were all working together. Um, you're right in the respect that the middle part, which is very FX heavy, um, they each director had their specialty. Mm-hmm. Mark Ezra who they're all credited as being the writer. Mark Ezra did the heavy lifting on the script and wrote majority of it. Mm-hmm. So he did, he, he was kind of the most free of the actors, meaning that he kind of floated the most and he yeah. did direct majority of that final, that kick cat and mouse climax, which is yeah. one of my favorite parts of the film. George Dugdale, who at the time was dating Carolyn Monroe and they're now married. He worked with the actors primarily which would make sense because the beginning part of the film has the most actor stuff. Yeah. So he was working with the actors, not necessarily very well, but he was working with the <laughs> actors. And then Peter Liston, who is an effects guy, directed all the effects shots. Granted, they all had input and they all worked with each other. But so that's why I mean, you're simultaneously correct and incorrect because it wasn't, that, it wasn't as clear. Yeah. I, I would have, I, I would have guessed that those are three different directors not working together which is not really meant as an insult to the movie. Uh, just that it, the, the styles are so drastic and that, that shift when it happens, it's not like a perfect shift, but it's like there's large stretches in the first act that feel very similar. And then yeah. stretches in the second act that feel distinct from that first act that feel very effects heavy and gory and inventive. And then, yeah, as we we're saying about the third act, um, I, I did not know that. Yeah. I assume one director after another was fired. <laughs> no, no, they, 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 they all, they were all kind of approached together. Uh, Dick Randall and, uh, Steve, uh, Manasian, uh, they approached them. Dick Randall was kind of, I don't want to say a king cause that's the wrong word, but he, he had done quite a few of these low budget horror films and they, uh, Mark Ezra doesn't go into detail about it, but he said he got into some trouble in the United States. So he's hiding out in the UK and he's still making films which explains why pieces and, you know, was completely Spanish and so on and so forth. Uh, pretty much said, he, I want to make a horror film. And Steve Asian, who put some money into the Friday the 13th franchise, was like, well, fuck, horror slasher films are selling. So I don't know how George Dugdale and Peter Liston all met each other, but they brought in Mark Ezra, I think sometime after film school, I believe. And they all kind of got the job together. So I, what it feels like to me is they got three directors. Neither of them really knew what they were doing, and they just kind of did their thing because to, I'm checking right now. I don't think anyone else, other than Mark Ezra, and no one has done much else. George Dugdale directed one film, and then um, Peter Liston did some effects on shit like Rawhead Rex and whatnot, but, you know. Yeah, it looks like Mark Ezra does... <laughs> like one project a decade as yeah. far as directing. That's, well, I can't uh, say anything. He's got a better work rate than I do at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that wasn't meant as like a, a, a jab or anything. I just, I found that interesting to see like consistently just one each decade. Um, I was actually going to ask about that Friday the 13th thing because I'm looking at IMDb right now. Mm-hmm. And the top of the, I'm assuming it's the original poster, it says from the makers of Friday the 13th. Yeah. And I wasn't aware there were any actual connections to the Friday the 13th series. Uh, there's there's only two. Um, <laughs> uh, that, you know, Steve Manasian had put some money into Friday the 13th. 
Uh, I okay. don't really know much else. Um, he, they, he, even um, the Crystal Lake Memories, that big exhaustive documentary, which yeah. he was in, just re- referred to him as a financier. I don't know if he just did the original one or which ones he did, but he put some money into it. And okay. and then there's uh, you know the composer connection because uh, Harry Manfredini did all did the music for the majority of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Scored this movie. Oh. Oh shit! There he is. Yeah, I did not realize that. They, they had that kind of great, like terrible but great joke near the middle, near the beginning, where they like jumped out with a hockey mask, and he played yeah. most of the Friday the Thirteenth theme, but stopped enough that it's no longer it's not a copyright issue. forgot about the hockey bat. yeah there are there really are a lot of friday the 13th connections in this movie um um, i'd say a connection and a half but yeah i mean there is yeah but no the poster's great because it just says uh you know from the makers of friday the 13th it's like it's not wrong but it's not right either yeah it's being a little misleading (laughs) it's kind of like what they do with comedies now where like from the guys that brought you 50 first dates or some shit like that like like I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Where was I going? Oh yeah. The, the score. Um, actually I, I really thought it, it makes sense now that the Friday the 13th composer, uh, made this cause like, the score I thought actually was, it really stood out and was a step above most slasher films. Yeah. Especially at the time. It's, it's interesting because it's, it's very familiar, uh, but different at the same time. Um, I don't know who gets credit for doing that really awesome April Fool's Day song because that was pretty fucking dope. it was harry manfredini but no i like the score too and like i lately it's been kind of great that so many um uh classic um, classic i put in quotations uh films are getting uh vinyl soundtrack releases i don't know if anyone has done slaughter high i actually want to look it up right now but this would be one that i would buy pretty quickly because 
Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to it's it, it's not as monotonous and repetitive as Friday the Thirteenth, which that's not a dig necessarily at Friday the Thirteenth, um, but it's familiar. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes right now. One of <laughs> one of my notes is, "Oh, look, an authentic Minnesota license plate." <laughs> so, so, they, so they did. Oh, and, and uh, the school was founded in 1857, which was the year Buchanan took office. So I don't know what the significance of that is, but I'm assuming they created that sign. Yeah, could be. I, <laughs> um, these are the yeah, in-depth notes I've taken uh, while watching Slaughter High. <laughs> some of the dialogues were so were so fucking great that at times I figured I was wondering if it was supposed to be a spoof still. Like, uh, two of my favorites is, uh, when they're walking through the woods or, you know, walking through the night and you hear, oh shit, what? Dog shit. I want to use that in something. Um, Yeah. And then my favorite fucking scene was later on when you find out the character of Stella is not interested in her husband anymore and she starts sleeping with the other jock, Frank, and Mm -hmm. she's like, talk dirty to me. He doesn't know what to say because he's like, um, tits. Uh, and she's like, he's like, uh, fuck, uh, screw. And he can't figure out what to say. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That, that was, <coughs> yeah, there, there really, there is a lot of funny dialogue and the, that, that's what makes the beginning so fascinating because it, it feels sort of like a spoof, but it doesn't feel self-aware enough in the beginning for it to be a spoof. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd be really, I didn't watch any of the special features, but I'd be very curious to, you know, hear why that is, why they made those decisions in that, that beginning act. Cause it, it feels like, like a, like a eighties teen comedy, like yeah. a raunchy teen comedy. And I'm a little upset. They don't ever actually talk about that. Like Mark, they have, maybe they do in the commentaries. Cause there's, there's, a, there's an interview of Mark Ezra and an interview of Carolyn Monroe. And then they've got commentaries with, um, the two other directors mm-hmm. and like Mark, like maybe it's just because he's British, but Mark Ezra just like when he talks about the film, like I just, there's times where I feel like he's taking it way too seriously. Yeah. Which you get yeah. sometimes with the with the, some of these older films and when they when they meet up with the director, but like I was really hoping that we'd find out whether or not like if they were taking this movie seriously. Yeah. I I mean I, I feel like they were taking it seriously. I just I wonder if they felt the the beginning needed to have uh more humor, uh and just sort of went for like the most cliched humor that was, or if that was something else that they were trying yeah, to do. Yeah. Like when did Porky's come out? Like it uh, feels very reminiscent of that. Um, 1981. So, okay. Well, it wasn't like, Oh, Porky's just came out. Let's do Porky's type of thing. It's, but this would have been filmed in what? 84. Yeah. It looks like. So yeah. I mean, it, it could have, yeah, been an inspiration to some degree. Oh, totally. And like, what's it's so funny to me is it's like so that that opening sequence is supposed to be taking place in in the '90s or not '90s, sorry, in the '70s, but they somehow have a full video crew just like all this video That's... equipment in <laughs> the wrong decade, and like, not only do they have like a camera, like no, they don't just have a camera. They've got some lights and they've got sound equipment. 
<laughs> like they just raided the AV. I was hoping that it was going to become a bigger thing where like somehow like Carol went on to become an actor. I was hoping they'd all somehow become like involved in the film industry to become a lot more meta. Yeah. Yeah. You could, uh, and this is kind of where I, I, I feel like a remake of this as much as I, I really do genuinely love the original, uh, the concepts that this film sort of, uh, toys with, I think would be so interesting and, in, you know, today's age where violence, especially like within schools, has uh, has become a much uh, more talked about issue. And Marty's character, how sympathetic or unsympathetic he would become in a modern context, I think would be really cool to see. I agree. And I agree for a couple reasons. One, because like, I'm always big on... I don't want to say remakes because that's that's the wrong thing. But like, I, I'm not opposed to remakes. I, I think there's a lot of good that they can do. I hate when people are like, "Uh, this movie took a giant shit on the original," or like they ruined the movie for me. It's like if a remake ruined the original film for you, then you've got some deep set issues that you need to work on. Yeah, because like yeah. I don't care how much I didn't like a remake. I was like, well, I still got the original. Yeah. Generally, I don't really advocate for remakes. It, it's actually, it actually is very rare. Uh, but this is this is one the whole time I was watching. I think maybe just because this has been something that's been in the news so much lately. I was like, yeah, this this would be... Because the movie as is, I don't think, would play the same way with a general audience. Uh, but if, if you were to de- kind of design the, gra- the movie from ground up, uh, with that in mind, I think it would be a really fascinating experiment. No, I agree. And, like, how do you make a slasher film relevant? And, like, I feel like if you were to remake this film, you would piss people off because it's, like, you'd have to come down to it's, like, well, if you want to legitimately make this film well, you'd have to remove some of the cheesiness. And I feel like, you know, there's going to be people out there who aren't going to like that. But I Mm -hmm. I honestly feel like there's a story in Slaughter High that could be really cool. And I, I think someone needs to make... But I don't think uh, Slaughter High is one of those titles that you could put on a marquee and it's going to bring out the bring out the audiences. No, no, th- th- that would be a, a sort of straight to Netflix type movie. Yeah, which is now becoming in a recent thing. months. Beca- yeah, it's become a thing in the last couple months. <laughs> Hell, someone did a I don't know if it's a remake or a sequel to Herschel Gordon Lewis movie Blood Feast, and it's at Target oh. right now. Or not Target at Best Buy right now. I'm like. How did a remake to an H.G. Lewis film get, like, greenlit and funded? It's Yeah. <laughs> like, this does not have, like, name recognition. But, hell, mm-hmm. somehow uh, uh, Darren Bowsman got a remake to Mother's Day made. So, you know, anything is possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who's remaking trauma films? <laughs> they, haven't even yeah. made, they haven't even remade the Toxic Avenger yet, even though it's been in the works forever. Yeah, that's uh, it's crazy what what people can get made <laughs> these days. Yeah. Like there's there's really nothing stopping you from making something, which is weird coming from a filmmaker who hasn't made something in many years. Same. <laughs> so, uh, I was gonna ask you since we, I feel like uh, I, there might still be a little bit of stuff that we could talk about Slaughter High. I wanted to talk to you about slasher films just in general a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, while slasher film is definitely a, a genre of itself. Mm-hmm. There's also subgenres within the slasher film. 
Yeah. You know, there's camp slashers, there's school slashers, there's supernatural slashers, there's the who done it. There's the, you know, well mm-hmm. my, my big question is like well, I love slasher films that fall into both categories. Do you think a, a slasher can truly work without the whodunit element, something like Slaughter High, even though we're talking about how much we like it? Because there's no question about who the killer is. Or do you think that that whodunit element is kind of like a driving force? Like, I like I like film, slasher films that fall into the the whodunit category and you know the more straightforward ones. I just yeah, I, I'd like different opinions. Um, I'm not like, I, I wouldn't consider myself like an expert on the slasher genre. I've, I've, I've seen more than your average, uh, person, but I'm not like, you, you know, don't have to be an expert. I'm not some huge horror movie buff, uh, that has seen every, every, uh, slasher film from the seventies and eighties. Uh, but to your question, I, I kind of, I feel like, uh, some of the most effective like Friday the 13th movies um, or even Halloween films have nothing to do with the whodunit element. That's fair. Because, and, and even like uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series is, I mean, it, there never is a question about who Freddy is. Uh, so I, I think it can work. Uh, is, is it interesting? I think that's debatable because uh Friday the Friday the 13th is a weird one because I feel like it sort of jumps all around in terms of quality through the 12 films. Uh, but I, I feel like for the most part, Halloween uh, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street sort of had diminishing returns as, as the concept went on. Yeah. Like for me, it's like I, I've noticed that most of my absolute favorite one-off slashers mm-hmm. were usually had some sort of whodunit element like uh, graduation day, which I just told you about. There's definitely yeah. a whodunit element in there because you don't know who the killer is, and that for me that th- those are fun because like in Slaughter High we know that Marty's the killer yet he still chooses to wear a mask. Usually the yeah. mask aspect comes into because you don't know who it is, or you know there, there's other circumstances trying to hide a face or I guess yeah, his, his scarring. Guess, yeah, that makes sense. I just but but, but that never really. Uh, is overtly addressed ever. Yeah. Uh, but for like me, like, um, my bloody Valentine, which I think is, a, is a fantastic, is one of my favorite 80 slashers of all time. There's that question throughout the entire film of, you know, you, you there, there's two, two characters that it's go actually three characters that it's like, it could be one of these three people. There's the killer. And that for me, it just adds suspense. And honestly, I, it's, it's funny. I forget, who the killer is every time I watch that film. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm just getting myself wrapped up in it, but also like yeah. the remake had a slightly, had a different ending. So like, I'm, I mm-hmm. think I'm just getting the two confused, but like, I never remember who the killer is at the end of my bloody Valentine. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, I think having the whodunit element does help a lot. Uh, if I were to make a slasher, I think I'd probably tend more towards the like whodunit element. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I don't think that's that's uh that's absolutely necessary. No, I get um, yeah, that's kind of where I've I've leaned. I just I always like to you know fellow other slasher fans. I always like to to hear their thoughts on it because like you know some of the most iconic slasher films of all time, like like something like Sleepaway Camp, are 
the you know the big secret at the end like of who of who's the killer is like is the big thing yeah and sleepaway camp it's like i don't even want to like say what happens at the end in no. case anyone listening has hasn't watched it because that that is that the one film is, i would not spoil yeah that that ending is so genuinely surprising and upsetting and like it, it just sticks with you and Yes, yeah, sorry, I, I'm going off on sleepaway camp now, but it, it's one of those things where, like, where you watch where you watch the movie and you feel it, this kind of does tie into Slaughter High, where Slaughter High the beginning feels weird and the tone is off and you're not sure if they're trying to be comedic or if that's intentional or what's going on with uh, sleepaway camp. It's very similar where the beginning it, it feels like a Tommy Wiseau production and you're not quite sure if this is just like a movie that's so bad it's good type of thing. And then when that ending hits, everything makes sense. And you realize, no, that, that beginning was deliberate. That that was an actual choice that they made. Um, Sleep away, that, that's great. Sleepaway Camp is... Uh, I've always described it as being the Nicolas Cage of movies where you don't <laughs> know if it's just so bad that it, it it got attention or if it's one of the greatest movies ever made and no one's paying attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Nicolas Cage of movies. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for for Halloween last year, I had a, a bunch of people over and we, we just picked a random horror movie to watch and I just laid out a bunch that I liked and like, here, you guys like vote on whichever one, pick whichever one you guys uh, want to watch. And everyone seems to have really, I think they reacted to the uh, scream factory uh, poster for uh sleepaway camp, which is a great poster. Yeah, it is. And uh, so they, they picked sleepaway camp and most of the people there were not like horror fans, but after that movie, like I, I did not expect everyone to love that movie as much as they did. <laughs> so that's a yeah, fi- like, it, it, it works for non-horror fans too. Totally, that's a film. I feel like everyone, it, it's time, it's ripe for rediscovery. Mm-hmm. Um, we are starting to run out of time uh, yeah. because I do, I do got things I need to do. But um, part of the show is not only talking about you know discoveries, but. Um, I've got I've got a duty to do to my sponsors where I've got to talk about some of the cool stuff they've sent me. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna talk about some of the releases that they've sent me, and then maybe it'll intrigue you enough to go out and buy them. First, Ooh, the first maybe movie, I will. First movie I got was uh, from my buddies over at Vinegar Syndrome, which are are doing are doing the Lord's work when it comes to restoring movies that most people would never even touch. They sent me a movie called Prey try to show you the cover it's cool it's uh sometimes known as alien prey uh i'll read the back to you uh an alien craft carrying a being with fox-like creatures has landed in the middle of rural england after brutally murdering a young couple the being animates himself into the body of the man he killed adopting the name anders Upon being discovered by a reclusive lesbian couple who mistake him for an injured drifter, they invite him to recover in their isolated home, unaware of his innate bloodlust. While ostensibly a science fiction film, Norman J. Warren's Prey is a brooding study in sexual desire and loneliness, punctuated by shocking violence and suspense, equal parts bloody and erotic. Vinegar Syndrome presents this new masterpiece of British horror on Blu-ray in a brand new director-approved restoration from its 35mm negative and fully uncut for the first time since its 80s VHS release. Kato to command ship. Command ship. I am now in orbit. Proceed with mission. 
UFOs, fact or fiction? Space explorers are figments of the mind. <coughs> made contact with human life forms. A new identity established. Are aliens already amongst us? Command ship. Command ship. Their immediate reaction aggressive. To take terminal action. Continue with mission. Why are they here? million years man was the hunter now he is the prey prey certificate x wow i'm looking this up uh this looks great but i'm getting have you have you heard of a movie uh it's also a british horror movie film uh movie film cheese movie film. movie <laughs> <laughs> I talk English good. Uh, I should be in Slaughter High. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, it, it's a British film called Extra. I don't know. If I've you... heard of it. It's actually getting a Blu-ray release. It is, and it actually just got pushed back, and I'm so bummed. But seeing this, like, I'm getting Extra vibes, and I've, well, I've not. Seen... I'm gonna have to check this one out definitely. Well, I've not seen Extra. I can one thing I can tell you about this film is I didn't know what to expect going into it. Because the one thing I will say, the the back of it makes it sound way more over the top gory than it actually is. There, it, what what I will say about this film is they choose their their scenes of violence very carefully. Um, yeah, it's almost like, in terms of its eroticism, closer to like a, a Jean Roland film or Gene Rowling, if you however you want to say their name, where it's it's a very slow, deliberately paced film, which uh, is got some insane lesbian sex not insane like over the top <laughs> but like it seems very believable to me because as they're showing it yeah i was just thinking too with uh it's like what 77 this came out that's uh fairly progressive for yeah and and they're not hiding the fact you know sometimes you'll you'll get a movie like rope where like the hitchcock film where you can pretty yeah. much say the two characters are gay but they never actually say it these ones you know they're they're they, they talk a lot about like how one character left her family and they're living now in the middle of the woods and where and how they've come to this point and it becomes you know like they're they're a lesbian couple and then in comes anders this alien who is um you know attractive man uh and it, it kind of throws them both for a loop because they don't know if they're attracted to him or not and it's you know they're, he's kind of coming into a situation of high sexual tension amongst everyone mm -hmm. and it's it's spilling off and it, it's fascinating it's slow i don't necessarily yeah. mean in a bad way but it could turn some people off um i was fascinated by it like the first time i watched it, i was like yeah that was pretty good i didn't know how i felt about it but the more i've thought about it, it's like I want to rewatch this. Like it's stuck with, I got a feeling it's going to be a film that's going to raise up in, in with a rate, like my rating system more and more at the more I see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking up the, uh, the, the blu-ray.com review of prey. I, I'm definitely going to be getting this one. This one looks interesting. Yeah. It's, it, it's <laughs> great. And like, and like, I, I don't mean to call him out, so I'm not going to say his name, but I, I was really afraid at first. Cause a buddy of mine's like, that movie is terrible. I'm like, Oh no. Because I was like, it sounds so fascinating. And like, yeah. I, you know, everyone's tastes are different. And I can see mm -hmm. what someone wouldn't like about it. But I was like, you know what? I like Prey. 
And it's one of those movies. It's like if I had like a medium and where you know besides the podcast where I can be like I have to subject people to watching one movie a month. Where like I feel like I would choose Prey. Like yeah. At some point, like <laughs> you know, if I had a way that like to curate things, like eventually, I just I'd want to show an unsuspecting audience Prey. <laughs> Especially with this really cleaned up. Like, the movie's gorgeous and it's yeah. it's shot like an art film. Okay, yeah, yeah. The, the shots I'm looking at uh, from just from the stills for the Blu-ray review um, look really good. Yeah, I think you'd I think you'd like it. Um, and then from another one of my sponsors, since we've also got Mill Creek as one of our sponsors, um, they sent me their new Blu-ray of Lords of Dogtown. Oh, nice. Which I didn't know wasn't uh, they. There was a, a a small run Blu-ray in the states, but it wasn't hasn't been available for a long time um the back really of this, yeah which is crazy because it's actually i'm not joking it's one of my favorite films i've, um, I've never seen it but like that's a it's a fairly I, I feel like a fairly well-known film to not have a blu-ray release that's that's crazy it's pretty great too. Until now. the entire film was shot on 16 millimeter which oh really cool. yeah oh the back of it says lord's dogtown tells the radical true story <laughs> radical because they're skateboarders. Yeah. <laughs> the, the radical true story of three teenagers from California who took skateboarding to the extreme <laughs> and changed the sports world forever. Stacy Peralta, played by John Robinson, Tony Alva, played by Victor Rasek, and Jay Adams, played by Emil Hirsch, are the Z-Boys, a bunch of nobodies, until they join board designer Skip Engblom, played by Heath Ledger, to create a new style of skateboarding that becomes a worldwide phenomenon. But when their hobby becomes a business, the, su- the success shreds their friendship. Directed by Catherine Hardwick and featuring an all-star cast including Michael Angarano, Nikki Reed, Rebecca De Mornay, Johnny Knoxville, America Ferrera, and Mitch Hennig. Judgment Day, boys. Now get out there and surf, little Gromis. We surf and we skate every day. Surf's up, man, yeah! Check these out. With these, you can do the same hard turns that you do on your surfboard. Wow. This wave breaks 24 hours a day, every day. And you know what, bros? We're gonna be the first to ride it. Surfing like a wave, man. Thanks, thanks. Try catch me. Hey. Skip is putting together a skate team. There are going to be hundreds of skaters from all over the country, and we need to shut them down. Oh, nice socks, man. Here's our entry fees. Now, where's our trophies? Ah! Oh, my God. It's some type of aerial maneuver I've never seen before. Next up, Jay Adams riding for Zephyr Skateboards. Stacy Peralta. Tony Mad Dog Alba. It's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. To the Boy Kings. Where's the famous Tony Alba? Make you a star. Wow, you're famous, Stace. You guys got to think bigger, man. I want to make money. I want to do it all right now. This is our time, bros. The boys are getting offers, man. This isn't about fame or money. Tell you put those kids in the magazines. They didn't care about either one. Well, they do now. We can't bail on Skip. We're Z-Boys. We're family. You need to keep pushing, man. I walk alone. 
Hey, Tony, it looks like it's gonna be you or me, man. No, it's not. It's me. We're gonna be on summer vacation for the next 20 years. Yeah, I was pretty stoked when I got, like, when I found out this was coming out because, like, I I have the DVD and I kind of wore that DVD out because, like, mm-hmm. it came out when I was in high school or maybe it was middle school, but, like, it was when I started getting interested in film. And yeah. here's, a, you know, at the time all movies were shot in film, but n- this one was shot, being shot in 16 millimeter was, like, a big deal because it was, you know, playing in theaters and it had a very unique visual style that I sometimes forget people forget about Catherine Hardwick. Like, they, they think of her as, like, oh, she directed the first Twilight, womp womp. But, mm-hmm. like, this in 13, she was doing some interesting shit early on in her career. And I feel like she's had a hard time rebounding after Twilight, but I don't know. Yeah. It was great to rediscover this film, and I got to show Amanda, who'd never, I don't, she never even heard of it, and I don't know, while I'm not a big sports guy, um, Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for a good sports movie, especially because I'm, I'm really into, I'm really interested in the nostalgia and history of a sport, like, I'm not big on baseball, but I think Bull Durham is a great film, because it's kind of cool to see that time period in a sport that is old as baseball. Yeah, I, I I may check this one out too because I'm looking at it. It's very reasonably priced on Amazon. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember I remember when this came out, uh, it being kind of a big deal, and I never got to see it. So that might actually be one I check out. No, it's great. Like I think uh, performance wise, there's a couple scenes that you know even to this day like are slightly cringy, and I think it's more so from just scripting standpoint than an acting standpoint, but. It's so well performed. All the characters feel very earnest and real. Like you, mm-hmm. I know Emil Hirsch. I know who he is. I've seen him in a lot of movies. I forget that he's Emil Hirsch, and I just think of him as his character. And yeah, know, for me, that's good performing. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's kind of great. You'll actually love it for this reason alone. Um, me and Amanda kept joking around about because we wa- we watched The Room a couple days before we watched this. Yeah, and um, Heath Ledger's performance is is so Tommy Wiseau just the way that he talks <laughs> yeah that you will not be able to it, it's 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 like you could you could hear that the in his voice where he's going to go with the Joker it's yeah it's like if the Joker and Tommy Wiseau had a baby which is kind of great cuz Tommy Wiseau <laughs> wants to play the Joker that's his character in this movie that's that's kind of horrifying and also awesome <laughs> Like anytime he comes to the room, like you just imagine him going, "Oh hi, Mark." He, he always talks like this. Yeah, that's a, that's a good time wise out impression. I was actually, actually. doing the, uh, Heath Ledger's voice oh, from Mort's Dog Town. Oh man, <laughs> it's that uh, it's that, that New Orleans accent that Tommy Wiseau has, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally not anything else. I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, th- those are the two films that I've reviewed from them this week. Next week, I've got four Hammer films from uh, from Mill Creek. The, uh, they've got two Hammer collections, two films on each one. I, do n- uh, I don't have them near me, but I know Die, Die, My Darling's on there, The Maniac, um, and a couple other films. And uh, I'm kind of excited to watch those. And then Vinegar Syndrome also sent me uh, the Dustin... Um, I can't, not Dustin Hoffman, fuck, um, 
Dennis who uh, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Thank you. The Dennis Hopper documentary, The American Dreamer, which is about his production of making the last movie after he did a. Uh, um, uh, Easy Rider, where they just kind of had a uh, a fly in the wall can- approach to this, where he all of a sudden gotten stardom and gotten money to make a movie, and he's dealing with internal struggles of being an artist. Oh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome put that one out, and then they also sent me the the slasher film Disconnected by uh, the director of Psychos in Love. I'm waiting to review that because uh, the director uh, Gorman Bashar, who does a lot of music documentaries, has agreed to be mm-hmm. on this show. At some point. Wow. So I've got a. I'm waiting Congrats. to. That's I'm, awesome. I'm waiting to watch that when I can. I can uh, get figure out time because I also want to watch some of his music documentaries too. Because thus far I've seen his movie yeah. Psychos in Love. I it's probably my favorite discovery of 2017. And yeah. after that alone, I was like, I knew I got to have this guy on. And then they released Disconnected. Is like, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Vinegar Syndrome doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These uh. Uh, Mill Creek. I recently the the only one I know I have uh, of theirs is uh, Your. They did a, a yep, which we reviewed on our last episode. And I haven't listened to that yet. I've actually been waiting to Mill Creek check that is, out until until after I watch the movie. Mill Creek is pretty cool because they're one of those companies I didn't realize I was collecting this for as long as I did. Like I've got mm-hmm. a double double bill that they put out of um, uh, When a Stranger Calls, the original. And oh, nice. Happy birthday to me that I didn't know they put out a excuse me, I'm mm-hmm. Blu-ray. I had the Legend of Billy Jean that they put out. A lot of like my multiple horror movies on one collection discs came from them. Like I was going through my collections like shit, I've got a lot more Mill Creek stuff than I ever thought I did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I only say that like as far as I know, because like I I buy so many Blu-rays. So there's there's a chance there's a few in there that I didn't even realize I had. Um but yeah, I, I'm really excited to watch your. Uh, I I've been looking f- forward to that one for a while, and uh, I'm sad I haven't gotten around to it. Instead, I I was I I got that and uh, Class of 1999 from Vestron at the same time, and decided to watch Class of 1999. I still haven't seen that one. But do me a favor: if you do end up uh, picking up Prey or uh, from Vinegar Syndrome or Lords of Dogtown from Mill Creek, even if you don't necessarily buy it directly through them, which I always recommend people do. If anyone listening has is pick, picks up anything that I suggest from one of our sponsors, send them an email telling them so, just so that way they know uh, the show's got reach, the show's got pull. So even if even if you don't buy, say if you buy something from Vinegar Syndrome yeah. that, that I didn't recommend, let them know that you heard about them through the show. I'm trying to work it out where. Uh, we Vinegar Syndrome, Mill Creek, and us can all grow together. And if they know that you know people are coming there from my show, I I think it would help everyone out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking at their website right now, so I I, I actually might uh, I might pick both those up. So yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I the sponsorships are working. Yeah, it's it's working on the show before the show is even <laughs> over. <The laughs> All right, Nico. So cool. I do appreciate you coming on the show with me. Oh yeah, I've, I've got to get ready to go to work because uh, you know I can't ma- I can't pay the bills of podcasting just yet. But uh, I think podcast is pretty lucrative, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to get going as well. But um, yeah, yeah th- thanks for having me. I I love talking about Slaughter High and. Maybe next time we can uh, talk about Sleepaway Camp or uh, maybe one of the movies you just discussed or something entirely different. Yeah, so. and I've, I've got an open door policy if anyone who's been on the show. Like if 
my, my thing is if we if we're ever talking about a film someone wants to talk about contact me i'll figure out how to get them on the, the only hard part is me and nick my, my the other nick we never know when we're going to record we don't have a set time yeah uh so that's where it becomes difficult but I've, I've got the open door policy where if anyone has something to say about any of the films that we're discussing record something and we will play it on the show so even if it's like hey i was listening to your episode way back about black christmas and i i loved it record it we'll play it on the show if it's got anything to do with us or the show we will play it and um as always we are on Facebook at the Shameless Picture Show. Go on there and tell us some of your shame, shameless entries, movies that you've meaning to see that you haven't and why you haven't seen them. And as always, we are on uh, Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Play Music. I finally got that confirmed. Stitcher Radio and SoundCloud. So rate, review, subscribe, all that good shit. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for coming out, Nick. We will talk soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.